following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. What does it mean to be still and know that He is God? Anybody struggle to be still? Oh, wow, that's a big response. I mean, that must be universal. Um, you know, we, we, we are people that think that we find our productivity and activity or we find our sense of purpose or even our, our identity or value in what we do rather than who we know and in whose presence we sit and who who determines our identity and our posture and our position and our and our and our uh, and our future and our plans. Um, how many have a cell phone? Raise your hands. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you should all be raising hands, right? So, so are are you good at um, keeping that thing charged? Are you good? And does you know for for most people, um, have you ever have you ever had your cell phone and run out on you when it's and it's completely dead? Um, it, it's not really functional at that point, right? It doesn't have a lot of purpose or value to you when it when it, it ends up in that condition. And so I would imagine you have some disciplines uh, that, that help to keep your cell phone charged. For me, I have a little station that I have set up at my nightstand, and my cell phone goes on there. I, I set my alarm. I turn the, you know, the, the brightness down. I mute it. Uh, because there are crazy things that happen in the middle of the night, and and um, and I plug it in, right? And I set it there, and with that discipline, if if I'm if I'm if I'm consistent with that, guess what happens when I wake up in the morning? It's charged, right? And and uh, and I and and its full ability and capacity is is at my disposal, right? And do you think that God wants to charge us up? Do you think God wants to fill our hearts? Do you think he wants us to be uh, fully fully realized with the potential of what it is that he wants to do in our lives? And my question is, is what is the charging station when it comes to us spiritually? His presence, right? His word, right? But it's, it's truly him, right? It's him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. It's why he leads us by still waters and green pastures like it's you know what that passage says in, in Psalms 23. It says he restores our soul. Right. That that that's what he wants to do. But doesn't it take intentionality and discipline in order to, to keep our cell phone charged? And don't you think that there should be even more intentionality and discipline in our life to keep our spiritual batteries charged? And do you know that Jesus literally died to, to make that possible? Like he tore the veil so that we could enter into his presence with thanksgiving, that we could come into his presence and experience the byproduct. What is the byproduct of God's presence? Fruits of the Spirit. What else? What's the, what's the benefit of God's presence? You know, we can list a lot of things, but it's God, right? It's, it, he, he imparts his heart to us when we draw near to him. He, he gives us direction. He gives us, he gives us inspiration. We're going to see a lot of this in the text this morning. I want to share an illustration with you. Um, I used this for years in student ministry, and 
And, and it just, it always comes back. It's like the Spirit uses it to come back to me to remind me of this principle that we're talking about this morning. But, uh, and I've shared this a couple of times before, but hear it anew. You know, you remember the old gas stations and some of them still, you know, maybe Bob Lee on Fourth does this. I don't know. But, but like when you roll over that little cord, it's like, what is this? What's the sound? Ding, ding. ding right? Like, and you, you know, they know you're there. So they run out, you know, and they're ready to wash your windshield, check your tire pressure, do all that, pump your gas. And if you're from New Jersey, you know, that still kind of happens, you know, but, but like the, the, the deal is, is, is just remember that let's, let's use that setting as the illustration unfolds. So this lady pulls up to the tank. And, um, and she's got a car full of kids, lots going on, major, you can tell that it's a busy day, and, uh, and the, the attendant starts to walk out. She briefly rolls down a window and says, fill her up, and rolls the window back up. And he's like, okay, done that before. And uh, so as he makes his way to the, to the minivan, uh, she continues to, to drive, and she just starts driving around the pump. And driving and driving and driving and driving. So he's standing there with the fuel that this car is desperate in need of. And she's in need of in order to continue her pursuits. And um, and he's standing there looking at her like, what in the world? And then she finally rolls the window down and, with, with frustration and says, I said, fill her up. And so you can imagine as he tries to do this, where does most of the gas end up? Guys, I think sometimes that's our our heart or, or desire when we talk to we're like, God, fill me up. Fill me up. But we don't get still. We don't we don't climb a mountain and sit at his feet. How good are you at imagine you're the, the cell phone that needs the charge. How good are you at seeking the Lord so that you might feel and experience all the benefits of that we're going to talk about this morning of just sitting in his presence because we have a broken understanding. We think that more is done when I'm doing rather than when I'm being. We think that in order for things to be accomplished, I need to be doing more rather than sitting in that, that there's a greater work that's done. There's a greater, there's more that's done in sitting in his presence than than wearing yourself out in activity. Jesus said some interesting things in his lifetime, some things that are just hard to kind of swallow or understand. And one of them was, he said, this guy says, I want to follow you, Lord. But but my my dad is in the process of dying and I I, I need to go home and and, and be with him. And, And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Come follow me. Now, guys, what Jesus is saying there is, that it's more important for you to follow him than do any of the most demanding tasks that life brings to our. And in the course of following him, you might be raising the dead. Are you, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like Jesus is saying that follow me and and I'm going to walk you into my divine appointments that I have orchestrated, the, 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 the race that's marked out for you. That's the most important thing you do is follow me, right? Everything else. Now, look, I'm going to pre, I'm going to kind of say this on the front side of this passage. Um, Jesus uh, here, eight days after our last encounter in Luke, um, climbs a mountain, invites Peter, James and John to go with him. And as many of you know, he experiences a, a transformed, figured experience and on the top of this mountain. But I want to ask a couple questions. 
Do you think that Jesus had any demands going on in his life at this moment? Do you think that his ministry or mission, um, you know, was really important? Right? And yet we, we see over and over again that, you know, if you've been watching the, the Chosen series, it's like the disciples are like, he's off again. He's going off to like pray or spend time. And he keeps saying, spend time with the Father. You know, I have some questions. And, and here's the thing, like, you know, here he is in the midst of, I mean, there's a lot of demands. There's a lot of crowds. There's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of needs. And yet he pushes pause on all that to go spend time with the Father. Right? And he says, you guys need to come with me because you need to understand that this is where it's at. This is the one thing that is necessary. Because I think so often in life, we you, you ever had interruptions that might be divine appointments? You ever have pressures and expectations, emergencies? You know, you ever have conflict and, and circumstances that intrude into your plans? And might, you, might, you, might it be that God is saying, you know what the most important thing is you do here? Rather than address this or, or try to fix this or is come spend time with me. Because you can't be who you need to be. You have no clarity about this moment. You have no resources to and you have no direction. Unless you spend time with me. That's why, you know, we are the challenge this year in dwell is that is that you would spend more time with him. At the outset of every day. And why I believe the first part of the day, you know, it says, your morning brought me word of your unfailing love. This is David in the Psalms. The morning brought me word of your unfailing love. You know, we see, you know, Jesus even Molly said very early in the morning while it was still dark, dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed in Mark 135. So we see like, like I, I just think it's first fruits, isn't it? Giving God our first and best. Like the first thing we wake up and do is we praise him, we seek him, we sit in his presence because like like the cell phone, we, we have got to get, we've got to get charged up. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've asked the Holy Spirit in countless occasions, fill me up, fill me up. And I'm just running around the pump going, oh, come on, God, I'm feeling a little weak here. You know, but but are you spending time with him? Are you sitting, are you climbing a mountain just to get in his presence in a quiet, interrupted, lack of distraction context? And that's our challenge for the year is that January, you would spend the first five, first five with him, showing him that you're my priority. You're, you're my, you're my desperate one. And then February, add another, let's spend the first 10 with him. And, and if you take this challenge and you got a month every time to, to work this into your life, that if you take this challenge, by the end of the year, you're spending the first hour with him. And let me promise you, our, our church will, will be transformed. You will be transformed simply by spending time with him. Do you believe that apart from me, you can do nothing? But if you abide in me, you will bear fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. Like Jesus is saying, you can't do this without me. You you didn't get here without me. And there's no way that you can even do a day that I have mapped out for you without my guidance, direction, 
power and presence. You can't. And somehow we think that we're so independent and we're so able and we're not. Like we we don't breathe without his grace. So um, with that said, let's 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 read through this passage. And what I've done for for our benefit this morning is is Mark and Matthew also speak into this account. So we have that's the benefit of the Gospels. We have four eyewitness accounts. And today we have three of those accounts that speak into this specific event in history where Jesus uh, walked this out with three of his disciples. And I'm going to include some of those from Matthew and Mark. And then I'll share some of the nuance as we walk through the passage um, that might have some 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 benefit. All right. So we're in Luke chapter nine, twenty eight to thirty six. And uh, and then I'll, I'll bring in the math, Matthew and Mark pieces. The word of God. Now, about eight days after these things, these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on a mountain, the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes, his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared to him and spoke of his departure, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they came, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents so that you, uh, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, can I just pause here for a moment and say, this is not why Jesus brought them. Now, why, why make that point? Because look, the moment that we experience God's presence and God's glory, we get into this task mode, right? Let's build some shelters and let's camp out here because, man, I love this mountaintop experience right now, right? And, and, and what Jesus is saying, look, I just want you to be here and experience the benefits of his presence and the transformative work that simply his presence has on our countenance, even on our on aspects of clothes, like it just transforms everything, his holiness, his grace. But that's it's not to build. We'll get into that. Not knowing what he said, speaking of Peter, verse 34. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Matthew 17 says, says this as it continues in this, in, this, um, in, in this event. Verses 6 through 8 says, and when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Luke finishes in verse 36 with and when the voice uh, and when the voice had spoken, speaking the the voice of the father, um, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, 
I mean, you would imagine they would tell everybody. I mean, like this would be like, whoa, you can't believe what I just saw. Um, But let's read what Mark has to say about that. And it says in verses 9 to 13, it says, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Why? Because there's no way they're going to be able to comprehend, communicate um, something that they don't understand, which we'll see in the questions they ask here, until they are given the counsel, the power and direction of the Holy Spirit which is on the other side of his resurrection. So verse 10, so they kept the matter to themselves. They obeyed the Lord, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean, right? Verse 11, and they asked him, why did the scribes say that Elijah, that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things and how it is written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it was written of him. And then if you look in Matthew 17, just to clarify that it ends with, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of who? John the Baptist, John the Baptist. So the father said, no need to build shelters here. He is your shelter. Listen to him. Did you hear that? Like that, that's something that stood out for me. Like, <laughs> it's like we want to do such trivial things from, from the standpoint of God's purpose and plan, like build temporary dwellings, right? And, and by the way, this would have been a familiar thing for them. Like, they would have grown up watching their parents and, and their, their extended family at, at the Festival of Booths building, building temporary dwellings or shelters, right? So, so but, but Peter, in the midst of this, this moment, is so blown away that rather than listening, he opens his mouth and what comes out makes no sense to God's intention. Peter wanted to camp out on the mountaintop experience and the father said, listen to him. So, guys, I, I think this kind of speaks to our human tendency. You ever been on a mountaintop experience with the Lord? You ever had those, you know, at retreats or events or conferences or, or just in, in your moment of pursuing him and running after him? If I haven't already mentioned it, in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with what? All your heart. And so, you know, oftentimes when we have these mountaintop experiences, man, we want to we want to build our house there. We want to build a shelter there and camp out. That That's where we want to stay. Right. And what's interesting is as we get into this text is this is where Jesus gets his departure directions. Right. But this isn't where we're supposed to live. This is where we get refreshed. This is where we get direction. This is where we get infused with inspiration and his presence and power, we're, we're transformed by it. And then we got to go back to the mission. we got to go back to the mission. Does that make sense? Like this is what Jesus models here in this text. And, and the fact that, that God has to reinforce, and this is not unique just to this passage, but listen to him. Um, it was brought up in Bible study this morning that, that, that Moses said, there's a prophet that will come, he who is far greater than I. And he simply says this, listen to him. Listen to him. So let's break down the passage. Um, I want to give two illustrations as we kind of move into this. 
One, um, Sheba and I, uh, after church today, and we have get mom home and get situated, we're, we're already packed and we're heading off for our anniversary trip, which we've done every single year. This year is 24 years, and every, for every single year, we have gone uh, on a on a week long trip together, and it, we we consider it our anniversary trip. And we're intentional. It's very different than maybe a vacation because. Uh, one, all of our vacations. We, I have found this truth. If if you go on a vacation and don't spend time with him, you need a vacation from your vacation, right? But if in your vacation, this is allows for more time to spend with him, you will truly come back refreshed, right? That That is always our intention. But in this particular week, every year, the intention is to spend more time together and to really dive into maybe some material and just make it a marriage retreat. And, uh, and we, we, it's, it's always exciting. I always get excited about it. Here's the reason I, I mentioned that this morning is that we have a date night on Monday night every week and have been doing that since the inception of our marriage. And, uh, do you think that has any benefit? Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it is, it is, I mean, so important, so vital to to and and that's what I'm going to say about this these anniversary trips that I've found in retrospect. I had some godly wisdom that 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 directed this early in ministry for us, and you know, it's it's like I'm climbing a mountain with my bride to spend time with her. And and let me ask a question: Do you think that there's things going on in my life right now? Do you think that there's needs and demands um, personally and and within the ministry? Do you think that there's a lot of needs in that regard? Absolutely. But guys, if we don't push pause and spend time with our spouse, it's like I said to Sheba this morning when we were discussing this. Like if 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 my relationship with Sheba falls apart, I fall it for me it crumbles, right? And so how much more? Do I need to spend time with him? Right. And make it a priority to where, listen, everything else can stop. You, I mean, and look, I, I'm sure there was a I mean, when Jesus pushed pause and went to spend time with the father, I, I mean, I'm sure that I mean, think about it just on the other side of feeding the 5000 feeds the 5000. You don't think a lot of those people had questions or needs or, you know, and he says he, t- he puts the disciples in a boat, sends them off and he goes and climbs a mountain. This is my point. There's never going to be a good time to do this. Right? It's, it's never going to, you know, this, if anything, the enemy is going to try to thwart. He knows. Look, the devil knows that your, your, your power source is him. He knows that. And he knows that if you don't spend time with him, then you're, you're going to be weak and vulnerable and your life becomes the opportune time. And so where does our help come from? Right. Like, but but we are not good at prioritizing our time with him and getting at his feet and realizing that Jesus talked about Sabbath. And he said, man, you turn this into a whole bunch of things you don't do. That was never the intention. The reason you don't do those things is so that you do do. And I know I said do do. That you do do the things that you're that that it's designed for you to do, which is daddy date day. It's spending time with the father. That's why Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And he said this. 
You weren't made for its benefit, speaking of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for your benefit. And what's that benefit? So that you have time to spend with him. But listen, is it it a surprise that culture has completely diminished that whole concept? Is it a surprise that the patterns of this world doesn't allow for, for, for significant time in the Lord's presence? But here's the thing. Do, do you think that God's going to empower that, that effort? Seek me, and what's the promise? You will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Do you think it's interesting in this very first verse that we look at? Do you think it's interesting that it's a mountain that they climb? What does that require? Effort, intentionality, maybe even planning. Do you plan to charge your cell phone? Is there discipline involved in charging your cell phone? I mean, is it important that your cell phone's charged? And, you know, when I asked the class about this, every single person says, yeah, I always charge my cell phone. And so do I, but my gosh. Like, why are we taking these disciplines and putting them to, in place for something that is so much more critical and necessary to, to our growth and development and direction. So the verse says this, And now about eight days after they, these things, uh, he took with him Peter, John, James, and went up to, on the, it, it says in, in Matthew, a high mountain to pray. And, and uh, Matthew also says, also says, by themselves. By themselves. Um, guys, I, I think it's interesting. A lot of times we, we talked about this in class this morning. A lot of times we're like, oh, which mountain is this? You know, because we have a, a tendency. Like if, if we knew what mountain it was, what would, what, would the, what would we do? We'd build a shrine on that mountain and everybody would make pilgrimages to that mountain so that they could go and meet. Like the, the reason that that's vague is so that we understand that, man, if we're in St. Pete, I'll give you an example. Every fall. Our leadership team endeavors, you know, to on a prayer retreat to seek the Lord's face for his will and purpose in, in, the, in the upcoming year. And and man, that is such a, there were years in the past that we would do planning as a part of that. We would do our finance budget as a part of that. And man, that stuff just got weeded away to just spending time with him and seeking his face for for what it is he wants to do in the year to come. And you know what's interesting? We always we always come away from that and there's there's a consensus around a, a phrase or a word like this year's dwell. And and it's interesting because it doesn't it, it seems vague, it seems lofty, it seems um, it, it's a vision, right? It's it's out there but it doesn't have anything like around it yet and every single year some years more than most this year more than any other year i can remember like you 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 get into the year and all of a sudden it's like and i remember going into this passage when i first started preparing it i'm like how in the world are we going to talk about like clouds coming down on mountains and faces being transformed and and peter knowing who elijah and moses is and i mean a lot of this stuff isn't relatable to us when's the last time a cloud came down upon a mountain you were on and and god's declared the identity of his son and i was thinking man this is you know i'm not sure where we're going to go with this and then man as i continue to just seek him in prayer and meditate on his word it's like 
it was so different than what even I expected. But this is dwell. This is what this is. And, and God knew all of that before he even called us to and revealed. And guys, it requires maybe maybe we're not climbing a mountain. In, in the case of, of this, you know, we, we climbed five stories to Miss Judy's condo. You know, um, with the help of an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but like we go, we go and sit on a beach, you know, but it's guys, it's not about the location. It's not about making that arduous. It's not about, it's about the intent. It's about the directive. It's about the, the goal, which is to spend significant time with the father because I can't without him. And he's got stuff for us, his heart most importantly, but he, I mean, what's happening here? Jesus has given directives, departure directives. So here are some observations. It is always the most important thing that we do. And, and I, man, I hope that if you're, if you're looking at the notes online or you're downloading that, I hope you underline that because guys, the most important thing you do is spend time with him. Don't let anything compete with that. That is, you know, Billy Graham had this occasion. I read in his, his memoirs or whatever that, that uh, one of the presidents called him. And, he, and, and the, his wife or secretary answered the phone and, uh, and Billy Graham said, I'll get back to him. And, uh, and he was told he'll get back to you. Well, several hours later, Billy Graham calls him back. And, uh, and the president's first statement was, I'm not used to being told, you know, I'm not available or waiting for a return, you know. And I'm sure he said that, well, you know, nicely and delicately or not. But like, but Billy Graham, this was his response. He said, the moment I knew you needed to talk to me, I knew who I needed to talk to so I would be ready to talk to you. Now, you don't think that if the president called you up, that that would be a, a moment of urgency and demand some attention maybe immediately. The thing is, it's like, look, life is filled with demands on your schedule, your time, right? Pressures. But there is nothing more important than spending time with him because everything he has for you is meant to resource you for the race that he's marked out for you. It's always the most important thing we do. Jesus said one thing is necessary. Is the Lord leading you to a time of prayer? Man, we have opened the office recently for a dwell room. We have, in, we have asked, as Miss Judy does twice a month, we have asked that people would open their homes so that it would be a place of prayer for whatever time frame, at whatever interval, but that, that we would all, you know, this is from years ago in one of our, our themes, but where's the door to the church? Right? Don't point at that door because that's only one of every single one of your homes. Are you the church? Right? We're the church, right? So where's the door to the church? It's your door. Right? And that's, that brings a lot of accountability. And yes, your, your, your neighborhood should know that this is, a, this is a door that's open to you for prayer and love and encouragement and truth. But man... Like, I get people coming off the trail a lot of times ringing the doorbell over there because I can't leave the girls in the office by themselves, you know, with an unlocked door. I, I just won't do it. And, uh, and so 
you know, they ring the doorbell and then all will come and they're like, um, the sanctuary is not open. I was going to go in and pray. And I'm like, well, I'll be happy to open that up for you. And it just logistically, it makes it hard just to leave the, the doors of the church open all the time. So, but, but like, isn't it interesting that it's climb a mountain? It's, is, is this the only place we can pray? Is, is, is this where God's spirit dwells, like in the temple or tabernacle? Or is it in us? Right? And so, like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if, if, if I'm not going to say everybody, but if the majority of our church opened their homes up to their neighbors, their friends, to their, their church family, to, man, come to my house once a month and we're just going to pray. We're going to dwell. We're going to seek his face. We're not, we're not, I mean, we might have a meal, we, we, but, but our, our aim is just to get in his presence. This is where he reveals his glory to us, as we see in this passage, right? This is where he reveals his glory to us. Jesus led the disciples to a solitary place. Do you have a place where you meet with God? Do you have a place? You know, psychologists have said that if you sit at the same seat every single night to eat your dinner, that it will literally create an appetite when you sit in that seat. There's a conditional behavior. What if you had a place where you met with the Lord and it created a spiritual appetite every time you sat in that place? Because it was distinct, set apart. Do you have a place where you meet with the Lord where it's quiet? Where it's set apart? Where it's, it's intentionally uninterrupted? Again, I remind you, Jesus left the house. And went to a solitary place where he prayed. And guys, that takes intentionality. That takes effort. That takes discipline. That takes desire. Climb a mountain. That's my challenge this morning. Climb a mountain with the aim of seeking him earnestly with all of your heart. Jesus had a lot of distractions and so do we. Jesus needed it and so do you. And if Jesus needed to do this in order to like, here's my conviction. You know, there's been scholars have debated this for centuries, centuries. What part of Christ's deity did he lay aside in order to take on humanity? Right. This is a huge discussion. Right. So what part what part of himself did he lay aside? Because it says in in Philippians two, chapter uh, chapter two, verse six, it said he, he he did not consider quality with God something to be held on to but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant. He took on skin, right? And so what I believe is Jesus, though he knew his mission and some of the implications of his mission, he chose to limit his omniscience, right? So that he could walk out the Father's plan in this seeking mode with the Father in order to be an example to us. Does that make sense? Right? So that we would know that we too need to seek the Father on some pretty consistent short intervals in order to get our marching orders. And I don't know about you, but I find my quiet, sometimes my quiet time, and I, I get real excited now because I understand a little better, but um, I have a quiet time and I'll be like, that's awesome. But that doesn't have any relevance to my life right now. That doesn't have any application to anything that's going on with me. And you know what happens every time? I get into a conversation, I meet a person, I and it's, Perfect for them. Perfect. And how exciting for me to know that God has given me something that morning like for them. And here's here's a huge point. Guys, 
How unequipped are you for your day that God has marked out for you if you don't spend time with him? Like God wants to, he wants to use you to be a source of inspiration and truth and hope and, and encouragement and life to others. Jill, have you experienced that? Like God just gives you his word and then it's just there to give to others. You know, it's such a treasure. And you know what it does for me? It gets me excited about my day. Verse 29 says, and as he was praying. Now, guys, you notice that in scripture, everything momentous seems to happen and at least have its genesis in prayer. You know, why Moses and Elijah? I'll jump ahead to this. Why Moses and Elijah? You you remember Moses and Elijah? Do Do you remember that these two men were men that sought the Lord on mountaintops? Interesting, huh? Right? So, like, while he was praying, it says this. The appearance of his face was altered. Mark says, shone like the sun. Let let me just pause and say this. Um, Does our countenance matter? Does does what God does in our heart change our countenance? Has your countenance been transformed? You know, like I remember when I got saved. At 15, someone shared the gospel with me and asked me if I I knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I, I, I honestly said no. And he said, would you like to? And I said, yes. And he helped me to pray a prayer of repentance and uh, and to trust Christ and to believe him for who he is and to receive the gift that he offered. And this is what happened for me is I was in a youth group setting in a church that I'd never been in my life with one of my buddies. And we are there, sadly enough, because there were some really pretty girls. Right. And um, and but this is what happens in the context of that Bible study. And um, and I had a smile on my face that felt ridiculous. Like it was like I was like, could this stop, please? Because I feel ridiculous. But it was just but it but doesn't he alter our countenance by the joy of the Lord, the, the things that he does in our hearts and lives? But man, because I don't think that a sad, gloomy and I'm not saying there's not room for that in repentance and other contexts in life where we mourn with those who are mourning and those things. But what I'm saying is, don't you think joy is a significant part of our witness? I mean, don't you think that our, our countenance matters? And don't you think that God wants that to, to reflect the, the, the wonder of what's going on in here? And because he was in, he had sought the Lord as he was in prayer, his face was transformed and it glowed. We're going to get to that in a minute. It says also, and his clothes became dazzling, intensely, it says in Mark and Matthew, white as light, it says in Mark, radiant, it says in Matthew, as no one on earth could bleach them, it says. In, in Matthew, no one on earth or Mark, it says, and then it says transfigured. OK, so what, what I want to point out is, is that we can't shine without him. Right. We're the moon in this equation and he's the S.O.N. sun. And when we give him our full attention, we become the full moon to the earth, which is our mission field. We don't shine because we have light. We shine because light, his light is within us. Because we are focusing on him, we reflect his light 
into everything that we do. But when we ch- when we choose, and I'm going to use that word specifically to focus on other, anybody focus on like we're called to set our mind on things above, not on earthly things, to fix our eyes on Jesus. He keeps him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him. Anybody else lose their focus now and then? Yeah. Right? Anybody else kind of you know start focusing on other things? And and there, is there enough problems out there to focus on and circumstances and right? And 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 what we're challenged to is a constant, consistent, fixed set gaze on him. Now you're like, Pastor Colin, um, I, I got a job. I got family, demands, responsibility. Yes! Did Jesus have all of that? And he never seemed to lose his focus on the Father. Right? Because that's what determines our impact on everything else that we do. And listen, the world doesn't need you. The world needs him and we can be the conduit. We can be the ambassador, the representative, the, the moon in this equation, right? Time in his presence changes us. It fills us. It reminds me of Acts 9 when Paul was on the road to Damascus because it's the same type of thing, right? He, 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 was, he says that he's shown, speaking of Jesus, his glorified state, he said he's shown brighter than the noonday sun. You remember this? Right? Who got changed? Paul was, I mean, 180 degrees changed because he was in the presence of the Lord. Guys, do you know that God wants to change your life? And to do, look, American Christians are horrible at dwelling because we, we, we celebrate busyness thinking it's where we find our sense of satisfaction and, and, per, and really it's an identity issue, right? It's where we're trying to find our identity. And, uh, and man, here's the deal. Like we are transformed by his presence, spending time with him, you know, and, 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 and making sure like, look, we can do that all day long if our heart isn't pursuing his heart and there's not change in that. Right. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a hunger and thirst as a, as a, as a deer pants for water. So my soul longs, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all, all of your heart. It also reminds me of Moses in the tent of meeting that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Let me read this passage for you from the same chapter, Exodus 34, 29 through 30. It says this, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, what happened on Mount Sinai? He spent time with the Lord, right? He, I, I want to share this for just a moment because the Lord gave this to me too. Like, um, you know, can you imagine Moses goes up on Mount Sinai? Let me read the passage and I'll share this with you. Um, With the two tablets, he says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, what ended up happening with those first time around? Smashed in frustration, anger, disappointment, all that. Okay. So uh, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that that the skin of his face shone because he had been what? I'm going to read that again. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone practically, literally, because he had been talking with God. Now, it's interesting because it goes on to say this. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were terrified to come near him. Like, here's the thing. We don't even know the effect that it has on us. But everybody else 
is significantly impacted by it. Man, I can tell you this is a fact in my life. Like, it is not about me. It's about when he gets me, all of me, then all of him can be depicted through me. And it's just not about us. Like, that is that is fantastic. And, and here's the point I wanted to make. So, like, he comes down. Can you imagine how, how excited Moses was after 40 days to share what God had imparted and shown him? It's about, I mean, like, all of that. Show me your glory. This is This is what he asked the Lord. Show me your glory. And he did. And so can you imagine him coming down? He's got like two tablets, right? God's finger, all of that. Like, and he's got a story to tell, right? He's excited. And when he gets back to his mission field, much like when Jesus and the boys climb back down, there's a father there that's completely, we'll see next week, disappointed by the disciples' lack of ability to do anything about his son. But here's the point. Moses comes back down. He's so excited. He's shining. He's He's lit up, filled up, and what does he what does he encounter? A golden calf. I mean, his his older brother, recently been named high priest, is now leading the way, lying about it almost. Well, they you know they said they really want you know, and they're worshiping this, you know, and and all of that turns into frustration and anger. Now, look, I only say that because it's relatable to us. Have you ever been there? You ever like it happens? I, I used to tell students we go on we go on these mission trips and these winter retreats and every quarter we did a retreat and because of this principle and and before we come home this is what I'd say to them guys expect expect something to happen when you get home like it's it's there, there's good and, and it was without fail like uh, son your mother and I are getting divorced. You know, I mean, like, just, it, it happened all the time. And they come back, and, they, and and here it is, you're back. And is it not different than when Jesus came back from getting his de- departure uh, directions, that he comes back and he's thrusted again into those that just want to kill him? Should we not have accurate expectations of what this looks like? We might... Man, listen, let's seek the Lord on the mountaintops. Let's let's pursue him, make whatever effort is necessary to spend time in his presence. But let's also remember that all of that is meant for us to 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 continue the mission. Like we don't we don't camp out on them. We don't build shelters on mountains. We go back to the but we're different. We're now ready and equipped for the next stage of ministry. Was this a revelation of Jesus' identity and glory? I think so. His transformed appearance was a picture of his holiness and his purity. In verses 31, uh, 30 and 31, it says this, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So what is, I mean, that tells us two things, right? Two things that are really powerful. One, that are you ever in a position where you need some direction? And are you ever in a position when God's calling you to a mission that is it's always over our head, right? I mean, marriage is over our head, right? Everything that God calls us to is over our head, right? And so, like, but when he calls us to these things, don't you think we need to spend time in his presence in order to be given direction on how to walk that out? 
There's another two wonderful pieces in this. I love that Peter is able to identify who these two guys are that are standing there. Because I've had people throughout ministry ask me, will we know each other in heaven? Yes. You will know as you're fully known. When we're brought into the glory and presence of Jesus, there are things that are given to us that we can't know in our own mind. Right? But then the other cool thing is, I looked at this word departure. Do you know what the word departure, this, this word in the Greek is exodus or exodus. Right? Doesn't it just blow up with meaning when you think about it? It was his exodus. It, departure, yes. It's not death. It's departure. Right? And it's exodus. What was the exodus? The exodus is where Israel was relieved of their burden of slavery to Egypt. Hello? <laughs> this is his exodus. Don't you love that? I, I, sometimes, you know, like the original languages just blow up a passage. And it's just awesome. The other thing we learn about Moses and Elijah is these two guys were, as I mentioned before, were guys that met with God on the mountain, right? And they both had, they both departed uniquely. Whirlwind, chariot fired, you know, God buried him. All the unique departures, right? These two prophets represent God's preparation uh, for or of the Messiah. We see that through their ministry, Um and so I just thought that was fascinating. Now, here's a point I want to make, and I hope that you take this with you. Uh, that or the fact that goodness licks you or God licks you, whatever, <laughs> something like that. So, um, but don't, like, keep that too. That's good. Um, prayer is where God prepares us in every way. Please write that down. Like, we are desperate to be prepared for every single moment in life. And the reason we're unprepared is because we're not spending enough time with him. We're not seeking his face. We're not empowered by his presence. We're not directed by his counsel. We're not getting alone with him. Be still and know that I am God. Verse 32 and 33 says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. They were exhausted. They climbed a mountain. But when they became fully awake, (laughs) context-causing, They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master. Now, first of all, if you just saw what you saw, why are you calling Jesus teacher? I mean, I think the Lord would be the only thing that you. But anyway, um, it is good for us to be here. Um, Yeah, I I think that's true. Um, Let us make three tents. Uh, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And in, another, in Matthew, it says he was terrified. So I mentioned before that the Feast of Tabernacles would have been something that they had done on many occasions uh, as as children growing up in the contest of festival as, as, as Jewish children. And so this this is where he wanted to pitch his tent. This is where he wanted to reside, where he wanted to stay. And shouldn't that be at least our heart? Right. This better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere, right? And I don't even think we're going to have to work at that when we're truly in his presence, right? God's deliverance, we see that here. Now, here's another point, and I don't want you to miss it. Often we want to stay on the mountain, but that's not where the mission is, okay? Like, that's, we, we, because we, we want to avoid pain. We want to avoid problems. But those aren't pain and problems. Those are opportunities for growth and ministry, Right. We need retreats for refreshments and reminders. Right. Did you guys see the the announcements this morning that the women on March 19th have a retreat that's planned? 
that we have dwell opportunities in the office on Thursday and Fridays, that we're asking people to open their homes for prayer, and then we're going to have a men's dwell retreat this year. So these are all ways that, I mean, God's called us to dwell. And we're going to, we're going to endeavor to do that. Um, but we must return to the mission. I think that's so important. Jesus gave up glory for the joy set before him. Like, like, do, do, do you know that in this moment, one of the things that I'm reminded of is Jesus at any point could have gone, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, you guys, you guys, that's it. That's enough. I'm out. Right? I mean, he could have called down 72,000 angels at this point and said, you know, pilot, I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. Right? But he stayed the course. That's why Hebrews 12 tells us that that's the, we got to persevere because Jesus persevered. Right. And it's going to require that for us. But this would he went back to after he was in this glorious moment, you know, in in God, in the father's presence. He goes back to the mission and we should, too. Peter talked when he should have been listening. Right. And guys, can I just say that that's that's an indictment on our prayer life? Like, I think I think we think of prayer as talking to God. And I think with maturity, we learn that prayer is listening to God, right? That this is where he says, listen to him. And, and, you know, we're so blessed to have so much of Jesus's red letters, like his words. Man, we should be first time listeners when it comes to all of that. And then as we start to close here, verse 34 and 35 says, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud, they being the three disciples. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved Matthew says, son, well-pleased, Mark says, my chosen one. What does he say? Listen to him. Guys, let, let me. So the glory of the Lord overshadowed them. We see that. This is the same cloud that led Israel in the Sinai that filled the temple. It's God's presence among them. The father affirms the son. The father identifies Jesus and says, listen to him. Now, here's the big point, Right. If we believe in Jesus, because he, he reveals his identity, if we believe in Jesus and that he is who he says he is, we're going to listen to him. But the opposite is true. If we're not listening to him, then we're not believing who he says he is. Are you with me? Right? Don't Do not say to me, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say. That's what Jesus said. Like, because he's saying it's a lie. It's not true. It's not true if you say, you call me Lord. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and that they did things in his name and his authority, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't what he asked them to do. Right? And then finally, this verse. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus found, or was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Because it wasn't, they didn't understand they didn't know. It took the Holy Spirit's ministry in order for this to have some retrospective uh, perspective that, that, that shared God's intentions. And so that's it. I want to close with, with this, guys. Um, can the worship team come so we can close in song? Um, guys, are you, are you spending time with him? All oh, the benefits are glorious. The necessity is overwhelming. One, I mean, why would Jesus say one thing is necessary? That's it. To sit at my feet. Like, 
you know, are you in a place? Let me just ask this. Are you in a place where you're in desperate need of 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 being filled, of being inspired? Of, uh, of are you in a place where you're in desperate need of direction? Right. And counsel. Um, are you spending time with him? Are you getting are you plugging in? On a, on a, in a disciplined way, in a consistent basis, with a heart, and, and maybe you are, but as we talked, as John talked about two weeks ago, and as was talked about last week, are you doing it to check a list or a box? And you've lost your heart in why you're seeking him. Oh, that you would spend this time here before you leave this place, reaffirming your commitment and your understanding and your desire to seek him with all of your heart. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.